morning. Greetings in Jesus' name. It's uh, good to be here with you. Yeah, like Mike said, I, I know some of you. I have known some of you for a long time. I think of uh, Betty Ann and David Landis. I uh, don't remember a time when I didn't. Uh, I think I've known them my entire life. And Mike, I've known for probably 15 years. I don't know how long. When did you move to the Millmont area? 14, 15 years ago. Okay. And so others of you, some of you I don't know at all, some of you very little. But the song we sang this morning said, People of the living God, I have sought the world around. And it's a blessing to be among the people of God. Therefore, we are brothers and sisters. And it really doesn't matter how well we know each other or not. But uh, I've observed the, uh, the formation of this congregation with interest, uh, totally uninvolved uh, in the process of, of this congregation coming to life and coming here into this place. But uh, I'm glad to be here this morning to finally see and experience uh, church with you all. And so it's, uh, it's a blessing to be here, and I wish God's blessing on this church uh, as you seek to serve him. Here in the, uh, well, I understand it will be someday be in the Shamokin Dam community uh, when the project is completed. But for a message this morning, uh, my title is God's Perfected Love. I preached weekend meetings uh, several weeks ago in which I preached this message, and I'm going to be bringing that for you here this morning. You can turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4 uh, for the main text of the message. I, uh, I'm... I'm some of the same issues in my message that we dealt with in the Sunday School lesson. Uh, the, uh, the idea of God's per perfect love, God's love being perfected in us, is the, uh, is the main idea we're going to be looking at this morning. Okay, so as we think about perfection, uh, I don't think of myself. Uh, perfection and me do not belong in the same sentence. I'm not there yet. Uh, but the Word of God is clear that that is what God is trying to do in our lives. He's trying to bring us to a state of perfection, a state of being like His Son, Jesus Christ. And so there are th there are, I have four areas in which we are God is bringing us to perfection. I'd like to define perfection here before I start. And uh, this is I found by Googling biblical perfection. And I found this on a Mormon website, so you will forgive the, uh, the source of my definition, but I found it to be a very good one. Uh, perfection equals complete, whole, fully developed, totally righteous. As, as a biblical definition of perfection, I found that to be pretty good. I'm going to say it, complete, whole, fully developed, totally righteous. And as I think about... God's work in me, he is working to bring me to completion, to wholeness, to becoming fully developed as a Christian, as a human being, as his creation, and totally righteous. Uh, I, I think it's a beautiful thing. And by God's grace, uh, someday I'm going to get there. And uh, I will be in his presence because that is where perfection is. Okay, so... Some of the things I thought about here as I think about perfection, we are not perfect. We are sinful human beings. We only achieve perfection in Jesus Christ. Secondly, God is perfect. Thirdly, God's love is perfect. We receive perfection from Jesus. We experience this perfection as we love one another. Uh, 
we will experience this perfection when we see him face to face. Okay, so how is God's love perfected in us? How does this process occur? How does it come to pass in our lives? What is God doing in our lives? Okay, number one. And you can, uh, you know what? Let's leave 1 John 4 for now, and let's go back to 1 John 1. We're going to come back to 1 John 4. Number one uh, thing here I find that God brings perfection into our lives is in our confession of sin. And I think this is foundational. Until we recognize our imperfection, we're never going to get to perfection. That is very, very clear. The confession of sin is required for this. Okay, 1 John 1, 7 through 9 says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Honesty with God about our imperfection and sin results in, one, forgiveness, number two, cleansing. How much of our unrighteousness is cleansed? It says all of it. All. That's a lot. Uh, and that's something for us to rejoice in, that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin. You know, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. What means? By what means is this accomplished? The blood of Jesus Christ. And so as we think about God's love being perfected in us, this text right here does not have this word perfect in it. The, other, the rest of my points do. And the, the, the connection of God's love being perfected in us and these points that I'm making are because of the text. That's what John says, that this is perfection coming to pass in our lives. This one doesn't actually have that connection. But as we think about verse 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when we have been completely cleansed, we are perfect in that area. And so I thank the Lord Jesus Christ for that. If there is anyone here who is hiding in the darkness of dishonesty with God, it's time to come out into the light and let it shine in. That you will get nowhere. You will remain in sin and imperfection, unfit for the presence of, to be in the presence of God, if that does not come to pass in your life. You will never get there. God's working to accomplish perfection, the perfecting of his love within us. This is the starting point when we recognize our sin, our un, unfitness for the presence of God. Okay, moving along, the second one. God's love is perfected in us in our confession of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Turning back to 1 John 4, verse 13 through 17. says, Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, 
that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. I have long struggled with this verse, this verse 17. As he is, so are we in this world. What does this mean? It says, herein is our love made perfect. I think that this, this word perfect here, herein, what is our love, in what is our love made perfect? In our confession of Jesus Christ as number one, the Son of God. The Son of God. As he is, so are we in this world. As we confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God, we become the sons and daughters of God. Right? Right. I think so. Uh, as I think about this phrase, herein is our love made perfect, and the phrase, as he is, so are we in this world, I believe that is what we are refer John is referring to here. Uh, in verse 14, it says that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. When we confess Jesus as the Son of God, we become sons and daughters of God. We are as he is, so are we in this world. As we confess Jesus to be the Savior of the world, we become little saviors of the world. We become the salt and light that Jesus referred to in Matthew chapter 5. I, I, just, as I've pondered on this, this is the third time I'm preaching this message. And this is the one that hit me this time. Every time you redo a message, something new hits you. And this is the one here. Uh, as he is, so are we in this world. As we confess Jesus as the Son of God, we become sons and daughters of God. As we confess Jesus as the Savior of the world, we become elements of the salvation of the world. We become the salt and light of the earth, as Jesus said. Okay, I like stories, and so I'm going to tell some stories here from the Old Testament and the New Testament about this matter. What happens when we confess Jesus as the Son of God? Uh, this, is not, this is from the Old Testament, so Jesus has not come yet. But turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. So this is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And a, a situation that they faced that I really, really hope that I never stand in shoes remotely like the shoes that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood in. It was a hard spot to be. So I'm preaching to a bit of a different audience this morning than I'm accustomed to. In Wilkes-Barre, I am always assuming that there are those in my audience who are biblically illiterate and do not know the stories of the Bible. I was blessed to grow up in a family. I was taken to Millmont Mennonite Church at probably a week of age, and maybe Betty, jo Betty Ann remembers it. Uh, I don't know. There's been a lot of babies that got taken to church over the years. But... Uh, I learned these stories that not everybody gets that privilege, and it is an amazing <laughs> privilege, brothers and sisters, to have learned the Word of God from our earliest days. It is a major blessing. Anyhow, in this story, we find these men, they were officials in the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a great king, the most powerful king in the world, and he got a little bit proud, and he decided that he was going to build a statue probably of himself. And he was going to place it in an area with a lot of space. And it was 90 feet tall, and it was made of gold, and it was something to behold. I can only imagine what that looked like. And he was going to bring all of his officials of his whole empire into this place 
and he was going to have them all bow down to this statue that looked suspiciously like Nebuchadnezzar himself. Now, that's not in the Bible. I don't know that for sure. But I'm just guessing when you look into the minds of these kings and monarchs, they, uh, they tended to view themselves as being gods. That was very common in that day, and I think that was probably true here. And the rule was that when the music was played, everybody was supposed to bow down, and if you didn't bow down to the statue, you were going to get tossed into a furnace. Now, uh, you know, how many of us, you know, it's getting cold now, and some, maybe there's a few people that burn wood for a living. I mean, not for a living, for heating. Uh, but I, I, I did that for a lot of years, and I don't know that I ever jumped in myself. I don't, I don't think it would be a very comfortable place, and I don't think I would last very long if I did. But that was the rule. And so if you were there that morning or that day, and the rule, what stood, the choice you had to make was bow down to this statue when the music played or get tossed into the fire. What are you going to pick? Those are your two choices. You don't have a third choice. That's it. Good question, isn't it? What would you choose? I can imagine those men standing there as they waited for this moment, and they were men who worshipped the Most High God, the ruler of heaven and earth. And I can imagine them saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And maybe it was Meshach said, I'm not going to bow down. And maybe the rest of them said, okay, we're not going to either. We're going to be in this together. If we go into the fire, we go all three. It had to be quite a place of decision. But in verse, uh, let's see here. Well, let's read verse 12. Let's just read some of the text here. There are certain Jews, apparently this was the person who tattled on them. So apparently, probably there were people posted around the, the group whose job it was to identify those who did not comply with the order. And they noticed these three men that did not comply with the order. They went to the king and said, There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Okay, so they brought these men before the king. The king knew them well. The king was very, very angry. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. All right, now what? Now what's going to happen? Shadrach, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, the king offered them a second chance. Okay, I'm going to give you another chance. We're going to play the music again, and this time you better bow down or I'm going to throw you in the fire. And this is what these men said. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego professed their faith in Yahweh, the Lord of heaven and earth, and said, We will not defy our God. We stand before him. Had their faith reached a state of completion, wholeness, was it fully developed and totally righteous? 
at this point. I kind of think they were getting pretty close, that they had gotten to a place where they said, we will die, we will give up our lives themselves before we will bow down to this idol. And that is a place of fullness of faith. When you have placed your, your entire being into the hands of Almighty God and you have professed him before the most powerful man in the world. They stood in the presence of a man with total earthly authority to snuff out their lives. And they confessed to him the power of their God and their faith in him. And I think that's amazing. And when we confess Jesus Christ as Lord of heaven and earth, as the Son of God, the Savior of the world, before men, God says, the first John says, this is the love of God being perfected within you. Well, to finish out the story, they got thrown in the fire. The fire was heated seven times hotter. They bound them and threw them in. And that was the end of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? What do you think, young folks? No, it wasn't, was it? <laughs> it wasn't the end of the story. In verse 24, it says, And then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men, loose, walking in the midst of the fire. You know, I, I can do mathematics. You know, you learn math in school. You know, three is not four, right? It isn't. Three is three. It's not this. It's three, this. But they threw three in. And now there's four. And it says the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And uh, I think in this, in, in this, their profession of faith in their God is powerful, more powerful than Nebuchadnezzar. They were fit for the presence of Jesus Christ in their midst there in the fire. It appears that Jesus himself came to be with them in the fire. And as we profess him before men, he will be there for us too. And I'm thankful for that. Second story I have is Luke 23. As we think about professing faith in Jesus as the Son of God. In Luke 23, we find another incident of a profession of faith in a very, uh, in, in not a normal circumstance that brought about perfection. In Luke 23, verse 39 to 43, it says this. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. All right, so the scene here. Is, is a scene that I hope that I never see in my day. Cicero, the great Roman philosopher, said that, that it should never even enter into the mind of a Roman citizen, that crucifixion should never even enter the mind of a Roman citizen. It was that horrible a thing to do to a human being. And here we have these three men who are crucified side by side. And in the one in the middle is Jesus Christ. And the one of them throws back at him the temptation that Satan threw at Jesus earlier. Says, save yourself and us. Throw yourself down. Let God save you. Do it here. Save yourself. Take yourself off the cross. You're this great 
If you are what you say you are, save thyself and us. But the other one, answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation. These men were crucified. They were hanging on crosses. They were, they were dead men, but they weren't dead yet. They were in the most horrible, painful, awful situation you could possibly imagine. And yet this man saw something in the man on the cross beside him that was different. And I still, I still shake my head and wonder at these verses. In verse 42 it says, And he said unto Jesus, Lord. How in the world could the term Lord have ever come into his mind? The word Lord and a man hanging naked and bleeding on a cross do not go together. This is the worst place a human being can possibly get. And he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. This man professed Jesus Christ as King and Lord. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise or in a place of perfection. Can you imagine what that brought into the mind of that man in that moment? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Upon his confession of faith in Jesus, he went from being a broken, bleeding, dying sinner to being complete, whole, fully developed, and totally righteous. And I find that to be absolutely amazing. And as we profess faith in Jesus Christ, the same thing happens to us. And I'm thankful for that. Third thing I find here is God's love being perfected in us is number three in our obedience to Jesus' commands. We are veering into the Sunday school lesson here somewhat. Uh, 1 John chapter 2. I noticed, and I never saw this before, that in 2 John, John is continuing his themes in 1 John of obedience to the commands of Jesus Christ, loving one another, and professing faith in Jesus Christ as, as the Son of God. But uh, 1 John chapter 2. Oh my goodness, time is passing. I better keep moving here. First uh, John 2, 1 through 6 says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. These first two verses don't have anything to do with my point, but I love them so much I had to include them. We have a really good lawyer, and I, I really like that. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Now how can this be? I, I, I still, keeping the commandments, obedience, as we obey the commands of Jesus, the love of God is perfected in us. But that's what it says. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. The love of God cannot be perfected in a disobedient soul. It just can't be. If we say that we, we abide in him, we must walk even as he walked. We must obey him. The love of God cannot be perfected in a disobedient soul. Okay, um, 
Preachers are supposed to be wrap up at about 11, right? Somewhere around there. It's like Milmont, same, be the same, same basic, basic thing here. Okay, uh, 2 Kings 5, 10 through 14 is the, uh, one of the stories I have associated with this, with this idea of obedience. Obedience is something I'm not real fond of sometimes. I like to do my own thing. That's kind of a human, human reality. And yet, uh, and, and Naaman the Syrian had the same problem because he was a leper, and uh, he heard from a little girl, a little slave girl, a Jewish slave girl, that there was a prophet in Israel that could heal him of his leprosy. Now, if you know anything about leprosy, it is truly an awful disease. It's a, they call it a living death. Uh, you basically waste away. There's not really any pain involved, but your, 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 your nose falls off and your fingers fall off and you're... It just completely disfigured until finally you disintegrate and die. Uh, Naaman the Syrian was the general uh, of the Syrian forces. He was a very, very prominent man, a very gifted man, but he was a leper. And so he heard about this, and he decided he's heading for Israel, and he's going to find this prophet, and he's going to ask him. Number one, he's going to take lots of money along to pay him to heal him. So that's how it works most of the time. But... uh, it's not quite how it worked this time. Uh, in verse 10 of, of 2 Kings 5, it says, And Elisha, see, he, okay, so Naaman gets there to Elisha's house and, uh, let's say, knocks on the door and wonders if Elisha's there. Uh, I think that would be a fairly good way of putting it. But in verse 10, it says, Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away. Well, this wasn't quite what Naaman had in mind. Naaman was expecting to be respected as a great man, as the great man that he was. Uh, Naaman was not an in, insignificant character. He expected some respect from this prophet, but the prophet doesn't even come out. He sends his servant out, and this makes Naaman furiously angry. Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. I might add to my points here that perfection is not achieved in human pride. It just doesn't happen. And uh, had Naaman been less of a man, he would not have found what he found the day, this day in his life. He said, Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. You know, wounded human pride in the moment causes us to do some very foolish things sometimes. He just he was angry right now, and he was going to disobey the commandment of the prophet for the rest of his life. He was going to be a leper. He was going to sacrifice the rest of his life so that he didn't have to lay down his pride. That's pretty much what's happening, right? I think so. Now, he has some very wise servants who weren't quite so foolish. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst not thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, wash and be clean. Now, to Naaman's great credit, he listens to his servants. You have a lot of great men who aren't really all that great because they won't listen to their servants. But Naaman listened. And I think that's an amazing, and if you think about leadership and leadership training, here's a good one to go to. Listen. Don't allow yourself to be carried away with your emotions but listen to the people around you. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, 
according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. What's the flesh of a little child like? You know, it's not quite perfect because we're not in heaven yet, but it's close. Beautiful, soft, clean, new. And that's what happened to him. He went from the scaly misery of leprosy, the horror of leprosy. I've, I've seen pictures, and it is horrible what leprosy does to the human body. And it went from that to being the flesh of a little child. In his obedience, he became perfect. He achieved physical, in this case, perfection. But we re keep reading, and it says, Naaman says, uh, I now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray that you take a blessing. And we go on. I'm running out of time. Uh, but Naaman also came to a place of profession of faith in the God of Israel, in Yahweh. So this is quite the event in his life. But as we obey, all he, he could have, in disobeying the commandment of the prophet, he would have missed all this. It would have not have come to pass in his life, but in his obedience, he found that perfection. And as we obey what God commands of us, we find perfection as well. Okay, well, one more short story here. Uh, yeah, I think I have the time. Matthew 19. We find a man who wanted to be perfect. It is not quite as happy a story. I think I'm going to abbreviate the story. It's the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him, Keep the commandments. He says, I've kept them all. What do I lack yet? In verse 20, uh, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? This man had a sense that so, still, after he had kept all these things, he probably hadn't kept them perfectly, number one, but he still felt a sense of emptiness in his life. There was something missing. And he went to Jesus to say, what should I do? And Jesus gives him a commandment, a specific individual command. Jesus said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, notice that word perfect, Go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Jesus pointed to a, the, an area in this man's life that was not yet perfect. This man loved himself and his wealth and his position more than he loved his fellow man, more than he loved God. And he, Jesus pointed to the, to the very, very spot in this man's life that was not yet perfect. And it was not a good ending. When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He disobeyed. He did not obey the commandment of Jesus Christ. And he went away and remained in his state of imperfection. He understood his imperfection, the right place to start. But beware of wealth and privilege and position and the high opinion of men. Because it will cause us to remain in that state. Love of self was greater than the love for God and others. Perfection can only be achieved as we follow, obey, and become conformed to the image of Jesus, our commander. Fourth, the love of God is perfected in us in our love for each other. 1 John 4, 7 through 12. When, uh, when I preach, 
you're going to have to turn your Bible to different places. I tend to do that. You better, you know, it's just uh, it's the way I operate. Okay, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Here in verse 10. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. There it is. His love is perfected in us. How is God's love being perfected in us? When we love one another. Okay, what's the logic here? Number one, God is love. Number two, God manifests his love in Jesus. God loves us. We should love each other. Simple. Simple equation here. Okay, focusing on verse 12. No man has seen God at any time. That's a phrase that's just kind of thrown in there, it feels like. No man has seen God at any time, right? At least I haven't. My eyes, physical eyes, have never laid eyes on something or someone that I could say, that's God. It just hasn't happened. But I've seen a lot of people, and I see you. And, uh, and so I believe this text says, as we love one another, God dwelleth in us, we see God in each other. No man has seen God at any time. But I see you, and I see God in you, right? Isn't that what this verse says? I believe so. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. We become perfect as we love one another as God loves us, as we complete the triangle of God, me, others, love, connecting all those dots, we find God's love being perfected. Okay, we experience God through his indwelling of our brothers and sisters. God's perfect love is experienced and perfected as we love each other more and more perfectly. And that's my prayer for this church here. You're a young church, a lot of new things going on, but may God's love be perfected in you as you love each other and as you fellowship together. And that love that you have for each other becomes the light that shines out from this place. A little bit of a scenario I thought of. As I think about this idea of loving each other and how that love and that light, Jesus said that, uh, now I can't think of it, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That's an interesting thing to say. A stranger, maybe he's right down the road, out of a sense of the emptiness in his life, Googles churches near me. And Word of Hope Mennonite Fellowship I think that's how you call your name, comes up in the search results, and he decides to visit. He parks his car and walks in the door. What does he experience? Does he experience God's love, perfect love being expressed and perfected in the people of this church? Is that what happens? That's something I think every church and every church leader needs to think very carefully about. What happens? How do people experience this church? I heard Ben, ben spoke on that. Ben Stolzfus uh, had a youth Bible study a couple of weeks ago, and he spoke on this passage. And he said, you see a basket of apples, and they look really nice and beautiful, 
and, 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 and really like something you really want to eat. And so you take one, and you take a bite, but you break a tooth off because they're made of wood. They're just for decoration. Is that what happens when somebody comes to your church? It looks good on the outside, but when you take a bite, it hurts because it isn't what it was advertised to be. And so that's the question that I think faces all of us as churches, as God's people. Is God's love being perfected in us so that when people experience us, whether it's in our daily lives, whether it's walking in the door of the church, what do they see? What do they experience? Do they get delicious nutrition when they take a bite, or do they get a broken tooth? Which is it? Is God's perfect love being perfected in this church? Is it being perfected in my church? Is it being perfected in my own heart as I relate to my fellow believers, as I relate to the stranger? In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, Paul gives a description of the perfect Christian. He says, though I have the tongue of men and of angels, I can preach like crazy, and I have not love. He says, I, I'm, just, I'm just making noise. Uh, though I have all understanding and all knowledge and understand all mysteries, that's what you like, would, would want, Mike, right? You want to totally understand the word of God. You want to be able to preach it powerfully. And he says, if you have, do not have love, you have nothing. And then he goes beyond that. And he says, if you, if you are so unselfish that you're going to give away everything you have, you're going to do what the rich young ruler didn't, and then you're going to go beyond that. You're going to give your body to be burned. I mean, that's really amazing. And you do not have love. It says it's worthless. You just totally wasted your sacrifice. It is nothing. And so if we don't have the love of God, if the love of God is not being perfected in us, we are wasting our time pretending to be Christians. What do people experience when they experience you and I as followers of Jesus Christ? Okay, conclusion. It's time. God's love is central to his character. God is love, our text says. It's a primary element of his relationship with his creation. For God so loved the world. Christ's perfection was achieved. I was going to go into this, but I don't have time. In Hebrews, in 2, 5, and 7, it, it says that Christ was perfected in his suffering. He was perfected in his obedience and in his sacrifice. Uh, I, I'm not, I thought Jesus was perfect already, but that's what Hebrews says. And it would be fun to go into that. And why was Christ perfected? In, in 2 Corinthians, it says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That we might be made perfect because of Jesus' sacrifice. God's love is perfected in us, number one, in our confession of sin, number two, in our confession of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of the world, number three, in our obedience to his commands, and number four, in our love for each other. And I'd like to close by the verses that are often read at the very, very end, or said, or prayed, of a church service in Jude 24 and 25. I love these verses. It says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling 
and to present you faultless. Isn't that a beautiful word? Faultless. I haven't got there yet. But I believe that that's what God is doing in my heart, in my life. And by His grace, that process is going to continue until this moment and to present me and you faultless, perfect, before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Let's bow our heads for prayer.